All right, good morning. So I'm up here and I'm already throwing my introduction away. Stephen had a, had a great introduction for kind of what we're starting here. He'd planned on going through the Gospel of John. And uh, since Lynn and I are uh, kind of been going through the eldership process with Stephen, uh, it was an opportunity for us to be presented to you guys and, and teach. Really excited about how he presented that, you know, we don't have to be necessarily good preachers. That's great. So setting y'all's expectation is terrific. Um, but, <laughs> but I think he, he had already planned on, on doing the Gospel of John. And uh, so we're just, we're picking up and saying, okay, great, we can do kind of the introduction. It's going to take probably both sermons to really introduce it. Um, today I'm just going to be doing the first five verses of the Gospel of John um, and some introductory material. Uh, but one of the things that we've already, you know, we've been meeting for, for several weeks, and one of the things we've already determined, uh, and it's interesting that it uh, ties into uh, a lot of the, the theme of, of the Gospel of John is unity, and we've already agreed that there's no way for us to be successful without having complete unity between us. And so if that means that, you know, something that, uh, you know, we see needs to occur and, and there's not complete unity, then that's where patience and prayer and, uh, you know, looking at it uh, closely before we, uh, you know, make any arrangement. And it, and it goes beyond the, the unity of just the, the deacons because and the, and the, elder, the elders, rather, that our, our wives... You know, will will be there to support us, and they must also know and understand what it is that we're what we're doing. And so, if if there's anything that's going to create conflict at home, then that's something that we also need to address. And we just still don't have unity. Um, so it's um, it's a big thing, Stephen. We've only been meeting here for eight months, but Stephen has been, you know, the the teaching elder, the only elder for many years. And so to enter this process and, and follow the word in how the word has given us in, in a fairly vague sense what it looks like to lead a church as elders, um, it's, it's kind of a scary thing because he is accepting that there is roles that he must unify with as well and not be able to guide independently and and Brooke as well who him being the only elder has been standing beside him and taking on some leadership roles as well and uh, so I just want to be clear that that that's something that's deeply part of what we're considering uh, is maintaining uh, the highest degree of unity and doing it with the basis of the word of God to the best of our ability. Uh, so that definitely wasn't what I meant to <laughs> have as an introduction. This morning we're, we're really just starting the introduction of John, like I, I already said. And um, if we look at the first few verses, it seems as if you know we're kind of looking at a riddle. But hopefully what we're going to be able to see today is that John is actually attempting to clearly communicate an astounding message of truth that he tries to convince us of for the rest of Uh, of the the gospel. So really just going to scratch the surface because the depth of the content is deep. Um, 
even in the first few verses. And so really outside of the introductory content and a small amount of overview content, we're really just going to be looking at two main points, uh, which we'll see I didn't have to pull very hardly for me. It's just part of uh, you know, what we're looking at. And those points are that Jesus is both distinct from as well as one with God. So Jesus is both distinct from as well as one with God. And then secondly, knowing God is the very same thing as having life in Jesus' name. Uh, So the Gospel of John is really a condensed account of the works uh, of Jesus. It's not a journalistic look at Jesus' life as we see in the Synoptic Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And John takes a unique approach given a picture of Christ unlike anything else we see in the Scripture. Uh, The book does not follow the same chronological order as the other Gospels, and it doesn't have the rapid-fire kind of presentation of the stories that the other Gospels have. And he chooses instead to focus on a small set of stories and provide a much greater level of detail about how Christ interacts in those stories than anywhere else. So the, the book is estimated to have been released between 70 and 80 uh, I'm sorry, 70 A.D. and 100 A.D., uh, but many scholars lead towards a later date, possibly around 90 A.D. Um, in any case, it, it seems highly likely that John has read the other Gospels. Um, they are all estimated to be released a decade or so prior, um, and so I think that that really may have given him an opportunity to focus his content uh, in a much different way and embed specific themes that uh, the other Gospels, um, you know, felt they needed to focus more widely on. Uh, He chooses to use a far uh, smaller set of Old Testament references. So, for instance, just Matthew alone has 124 Old Testament references. Uh, John only uses 15. So he seemingly is making a direct effort to enable... Uh, a broader audience, so Jews and Gentiles, to be able to understand the text with minimal distractions. Um, There are several places uh, where, you know, the author takes direct pause as a narrator to explain specific information about Jesus to his disciples privately, uh, as well as distinct moments of clarity that things that Jesus said that they did not understand, that the the apostles did not understand until after Jesus' resurrection. So the primary... Evidence of authorship uh, points to John, the son of Zebedee, uh, a disciple of Jesus who had a firsthand look uh, at the stories that are being presented. Many think that John, the son of Zebedee, is uh, who is referred to multiple times in the New Testament, both inside and outside of the Gospel of John, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So John has a very particular agenda in this book, and he helps us by telling us specifically what that is. So let's take a look at what we might call his purpose statement for why he wrote the book and kind of use that as a key to engage the first few verses so it doesn't feel like we're really trying to solve a riddle. So we're going to begin uh, in John 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So the things in this book, in the book of the Gospel of John, are written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we may have life 
in his name. So just maybe on the next page uh, to close the book, he also has written. Now, there are also many other things. This is uh, John 1, 25. There are many other things that Jesus did where every one of them to be written, I suppose, that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So that makes it kind of clear. John knew hundreds, maybe even thousands of stories about Jesus, what he did when he walked on the earth. And, and he was still able to focus on around a dozen of them for this book. Uh, the book is written so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we would have life in his name. So what he is explicitly saying is that Jesus is the Christ, and that means that he is the solution to sin and to death. He refers to Christ as being the Messiah that has been foretold. He's not simply a moral teacher. He's not a philosopher, but the very Son of God. And that believing in him, we are not finding life in the stories about him. We're not finding life in his teachings, but we're finding life in Jesus himself. So let's go ahead and dive in and uh, read our text that we'll be mainly focusing on. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So it doesn't take a biblical scholar to see what scripture this text parallels. We read Genesis 1 earlier today. Uh, so, I mean, anyone who's, who's really even heard about the Bible knows what, how it starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But what kind of other text can assume that it's as significant as the creation of the universe and being introduced to a God who is the creator of that universe. So, I mean, John is starting with great boldness, and he's saying what I am writing here is as important as the creation of the universe. So, in the beginning was the Word. In John chapter four, in John one fourteen, John identifies the Word as Jesus. <laughs> And so we don't, we don't have to do any work to make that connection. The word here is, is Jesus. Uh, so, and John's not beating around the bush to let the reader know that Jesus is God. So we first started uh, by reading what John's purpose was. That, uh, and, and we see that he's starting off with that purpose in these verses. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in him there is life. So John understands already that the Synoptic Gospels have covered the genealogies of Christ, that he was conceived of the Spirit and born of a virgin. And so where was Jesus prior to his birth? He was with God. And who is Jesus? He, he is God. Uh, so let's just do a brief description of the, the, the pieces of the first two verses here. In the beginning was the word. So Jesus is a distinct person who existed since the beginning of time. And the word was with God. 
Jesus has a face-to-face relationship with God. And the word was God. Jesus is deity, equal to and united with God the Father. He was in the beginning with God. So Jesus and the Father have always been in a loving relationship with one another. So what John is, is doing, what he's starting, is establishing the foundation of the Trinity. Jesus is distinct, but he's also an equal part of the one and only true living God, who has ex- eternally existed as three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three persons of God are completely equal in attributes with the same divine nature. And while each are fully and completely God, they are not identical in the roles they play. Yet there is complete unity within their distinctions. So let me read that again, because that's that's just a little bit (laughs) a little bit, you know, kind of heavy. Jesus is distinct, but also an equal part of the one and only true and living God who has eternally existed as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three persons of God are completely equal in attributes with the same divine nature. And while each are fully and completely God, they are not identical in the roles they play, yet there is complete unity within their distinctions. So John is not unpacking something completely new. This is, this is not a new concept in Scripture, but... It is one that a vast majority were not able to see. And until Christ came and lived and died and was resurrected, the eyes were not uncovered to it by most. Uh, And so once they saw that Jesus was a willing and pleasant sacrifice to atone for the sin of all mankind, even his disciples we're not able to fully understand and realize it until after his death and resurrection. And even some until they saw him again in the flesh. Even hearing firsthand accounts wasn't enough for some. Uh, so the, there's quite a number of things, rabbit holes, that I couldn't go down. Um, Psalm 34, if you guys want to read that on your own, it's, it's a great you know, Old Testament passage. From the King David, who, and, and look in that and see what person of God he found in that passage and, and prophesied about. Uh, it's a great place to look. The law of God and the record given in the Bible of the Israelites' inability to abide by the law tends to leave us with a sense that God is disappointed in us because we recognize our own failures. Whether we choose to admit to them or not, fortunately for us, God's plan will be achieved. And Jesus is his plan to save the entirety of mankind who will believe and submit to him. So in the Old Testament, there is a concept of the word of God that he sends out to accomplish his purposes, which returns to him. And most people would, would say that this is a concept of the prophecy of Christ. And so let's, let's flip over uh, briefly to Isaiah 55. And uh, we're going to look um, starting in verse 11. So shall my word be 
that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purposed and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent. All right, so that's a great place uh, to end, but actually I was going to start at verse 6. So let's read a little bit more so we have some context here. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So John Timoney, he is proclaiming a new vision of reality and a changing of how we consider everything around us, both physical and spiritual. The the idea of the Trinity can be very difficult for us to understand because it's not how we physically see the world around us. And it's a deal killer for other religions such as the Muslims and the Mormons. They only see God the Father and they create an impersonal image of God that really is not so far from the modern secular view of God. Many who say they believe in God think of him like some blob of invisible something that's incomprehensible and unknowable. People want a God that is impersonal, impersonal enough that they can sin and just not feel bad about it. We live in a broken world and we are broken and imperfect people. But it's obvious that we are all looking to fill a void that exists within us. We often think, though, that we can figure it out, that we can figure out what we feel is missing in our, in our own life. And, and say that we don't need God's help because we've got this. So an article published by the Philadelphia Inquirer on February 20th, 2024, quoted these stats collected in a survey last fall by a market research company, OnePoll. It says 47% of Americans believe they could write a self-help, also called a self-improvement book. 81% of Gen Z say that they are confident they could pin such a tome compared to 48% of millennials and 28% of boomers. The article additionally says, it takes audacity to write a self-help book. What you're proclaiming page after page is not only that you have a better take on what's plaguing the human condition than everyone else, you're also saying that you're enlightened enough to fix it. So how many enlightened individuals that claim they can fix the human condition believe in God? According to Pew Research Center, who published a very wide array of statistics that are broken down into many categories, shows that 88 to 90% of Americans believe there is a God or a higher power. So if 47% of Americans overall think they have the answer to fixing the human condition, these are clearly overlapping populations. 
They're missing a millennia old documented truths that explain what they're searching for. Perhaps they are really seeking the maker of all things, the one who is capable of unsurpassing love, grace, and mercy toward his creation. So back to John chapter 1, verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John is still not slow playing, playing the deity of Christ. He intends to create, create creation imagery based on Genesis 1. The Spirit was there, and Jesus was there, and Jesus was with God. And each step of creation began with God said. And what John is saying here is that Jesus is the Word of God. It was Jesus who spoke creation into existence. John will soon directly touch on the Holy Spirit in his book. We won't get there today. Um, But from a creation context, the Holy Spirit is the breath of Jesus as he spoke. Jesus also breathes the Holy Spirit upon his disciples in John 20, 22. The God that we will find in the Gospel of John is the one true God who is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit united together from eternity past. So a concept that's important for us to understand is why did God create the universe? Why did he create us to be part of it? He did it for himself, for his glory, and for his purposes to be accomplished. Colossians 1.6 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So what we do, we often seek comfort in the things of this world and time and time again find them unfulfilling. So I don't know know if you've noticed this, but I've, I've noticed this, that we tend to get more joy out of waiting to receive something than when we actually receive it. The anticipation of the new job, the new house, the new car, new presents, that package that's in the mail, the anticipation is better than when we actually receive it and hold it in our hands. The moment fades away so quickly, and we're sitting there left wondering why we didn't get the fulfillment that we expected. The reason is because Jesus created us for him. We are made for him, by him, not by or for any of those other things. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Ezekiel 33, 11 says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die O house of Israel. John chapter 4 says, In him, I'm sorry, John 1 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So let's go back to what, what was John's purpose of, of writing this book? And that believing you may have life in his name. In Christ, we may 
receive salvation from sin and death. We may have salvation from sin and death, but we, we can't stop at John 3.16. You know, that's one of the most common verses in the Bible. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And many people understand and believe in Christ and believe that the gospel is exclusively related to death. Their unknown prospect of death. What happens after death? And fear-based evangelism is still active today. And it has a perv- it's been very pervasive in establishing communities of intellectual Christians who do not work out their faith. And what God means in him was life and the life was the light of men means far more than what happens in death. Jesus wants to manifest himself to us to show us that it is he that can give us the joy in the relationship that we have for him as we live our lives. It's, it's for now. We can receive great comfort that death is, is part of that as well. But that's not what we should focus on. You know, we can have security that in death there is great joy in being with Christ. But it's really about receiving life for him now. We can be free from the weight of sin if we confess it and repent of it. Jesus faced all the temptation that we could possibly face. He is actually empathetic to what we're going through. He understands our struggles. He's willing and able to see us through it and give us strength to endure challenges. So he's not a God that has his back turned, is angry and disapproved and filled in his face with condemnation until we try to patch things up. He is warm, inviting, loving, forgiving, waiting for us to turn to him. So we'll see in John, many believed in Jesus during his earthly ministry. And they did not fully understand what God's purpose was for sending the Messiah. They wanted a physical kingdom, not a spiritual kingdom. John records that many of those who believed kept their belief to themselves because they were afraid of losing their place. They were afraid of losing their position, their standing, their power, their income for being separated from a society that would make them lose what they found to be currently comfortable. They thought, I believe, but I'm not willing to actually follow Jesus and risk losing what I physically have. The Jews also ignored a foundational aspect of the covenant that God made with Abraham, that all nations would be blessed through his descendants. The, the end of their genealogy, at least as, as is documented in the Bible, is the birth of Christ. They wanted to be lifted up as a people to, to dominate the world, to see Rome crushed, and to be able to look down at the filthy, inferior Gentiles who were beyond God's saving. So as we're taken through the journey of Jesus in the Gospel of John, we will encounter the idea of overcoming 
the cultural norms, cultural barriers, mental barriers of engaging outside of our comfort zones with people who also need the gospel in their life. We will see Jesus, who became known to the religious leaders in the Synoptic Gospels as Jesus, friend of sinners. Jesus was willing to become dirty on the outside to make the heart of mankind clean. He spent time with sinners. He developed relationships with them so that he could minister to them. To have life in his name, we must know him. Not just who he is or what he did, but have in a relationship with him. So we, we meet people all the time and never actually know them. We don't ever find out who they are. We, we call them acquaintances, right? Casual friends as well. You know, someone we spend enough time, they're no longer an acquaintance. If we don't see them and spend time with them and know about their life for a period of time, we become unfamiliar with them. You know, they're, they're an acquaintance once more. If Jesus is to us or has again become an acquaintance of ours, we may have stopped personally seeking him or we're not, we were not seeking him to begin with or we have not met him yet. It's Jesus alone who has the power and authority to bear our sin. And so living in his name means that his righteousness is our righteousness because we have no other way to obtain righteousness than in him. Let me say that again. It's Jesus alone who has the power and authority to bear our sin. And so living in his name means that his righteousness is our righteousness because we have no other way to obtain righteousness than in him. So in in John chapter 14, uh, we really get one of the clearest pictures of how we can have unity with Christ. And there's no way that that I could even read that today. It would take too long to even get into all the theology that's, that's involved there. So a little homework assignment. You guys go and read John 14, 15 through 26 today through the week. Uh, really look at that. It, um, I'll say just a, a few things around that text. Um, we by ourselves are not capable of abiding by God's commandments. When Jesus' work was complete on the cross and through his resurrection, he asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit to be in his believers to teach us. And teaching is providing knowledge, guidance, correction, and in this case, wisdom as well. The gospel of salvation is the gospel of repentance. As we apply the gospel to our own lives, over and over again, we have reunion with Christ over and over again. And as we submit to the chastisements of the Spirit, He presses us into a form that we do not naturally fit into. Life with Jesus. Verse 5 of John 1. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So living the gospel in our life shines the light of Christ into the darkness. So shines with an S on the end of present tense. Christ entered the darkness to give it spiritual life. And we 
uh, I'm sorry, and, and the darkness does not overcome the light because Christ has obtained full victory over the darkness. So the, the physical and heavenly powers that were aligned against Christ on the cross were defeated in his death and resurrection. The forces of sin, forces that we see physically, forces that we don't see, are really beyond our imagination. I, I regularly hear of atrocities that are happening in this world that I just didn't even know was a thing. Like it's, it's like brand new. Couldn't have imagined that, that, that that's going on. And it's, it's, it is scary. It's disturbing. It's terrifying. But all the fractures in the universe that sin can create cannot overcome the light of Christ. And His light is the light of men. We reflect His light into the world. But we can reflect only so much as what we are not trying to overcome within ourselves. We're allowing influences in our life to dim it. Our personal relationship with Jesus takes time and effort. Just coming and gathering weekly in Christ's name to worship Him and to hear a message from God's Word is important. It's, it's a, a part of our renewal of our spirit that we need, but it is not significant enough to grow in Him so that we can shine the light so brightly that it can be clearly seen. We must spend time on our own and pursue Him. Pursue Jesus by reading and studying His Word, seeking Him in prayer, building each other up in Jesus' name, giving our testimony and proclaiming the gospel to others so that we can make more disciples of Christ. And if if walking with Jesus to us doesn't at least look like that, then we should question whether we know Him, whether, whether we truly know Him. So, I mean, I can say with certainty that I have staggered in my walk in my life many times. And it's often hard to share with each other what the Spirit's doing inside of us because then we have to admit that we needed His discipline, that we were engaged in unrighteous thoughts or actions, feelings or desires. But the Spirit is, is always pulling back to Him those that will listen. How much more could we be involved in the Spirit's refining process if we got closer to each other, if we actually knew one another where we loved each other, that we could express the love like Jesus does with forgiveness and a lack of judgment towards the repenting heart of our siblings in Christ. That we could deal with each other in a kind and gentle way. John wants us to see new categories for human existence. We need an imagination to understand how we can relate to different states of the human condition as Jesus did in his ministry. We have cultural perspectives about how and why and what population that we should be engaging with, that we should be proclaiming the gospel to. And those perspectives that we've built, and they may need to be challenged. So even those who knew the prophecies of Christ 
when he was walking the earth and they believed the Messiah was coming in the scriptures, they still didn't accept him. They were shown God in the flesh who demonstrated power and authority over disease, physical ailments, deformities, evil spirits, and even death. But even seeing it personally was not enough for most to follow him because they were not seeking God in spirit. God gives growth through his spirit. We can't do it ourselves. We can easily step away onto the wide path and follow our own way. We can turn our back to God, but he never turns his back on us. So patient he is teaching and refining us with both the good experiences and the bad experiences in our life. The things that are within our control and the things that are outside of our control. The Gospel of John. It is a, it's a beautiful book that tells of Jesus' love and how he wants us to have a personal relationship with him. To have his love, show his love, and experience the best of his plan for us. But we have to submit to him and allow the Spirit to teach us. He sees what we cannot see. Why don't we trust him today to accomplish his purpose in us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we do have your spirit. We thank you that we do have your word. We have such vast resources to to look at and be able to understand your your word at a so, so much easier pace than those have had to in the past. And we're able to rely on all of the work that men and women have put into in their relationship with you to, to understand you. We just thank you, Father, for a pastor, Pastor Stephen, who has such theological depth and is able to, on a week-to-week basis, bring us foundational truths from your word and, and lead the teaching, something that we wouldn't be able to do with, without the time and the energy that he put in and his love for the Lord. We just pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes and open our ears as, as uh, he leads us through the Gospel of John. We pray for Lynn as he prepares uh, to complete the introduction next week and show us more about what it looks like. Father, we just pray that as we go through the week, we would pay attention, that we would be ready to present what Jesus means to us, to someone who is not, uh, is not able to overcome challenges in their life, is seemingly in despair. Help us to use our own relationship with you to tell them about the joy that we can have in him in Christ's name. Amen.